Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Biblical Studies. I'm your host, Michael Morales. In today's program, we'll be talking to Donald Berry about his recent book called Glory in Romans and the Unified Purpose of God in Redemptive History. That was published in 2016 by Pickwick Publications. You'll find a link to this work on our website. A revision of Donald Berry's doctoral dissertation, Glory in Romans, fills a gap in Pauline studies. It sets forth the glory of God as central to Paul's theology. Not only does his book cover a significant motif in the New Testament, but it also provides crucial insights into the epistle to the Romans and to the field of biblical theology. Donald Berry is a pastor at Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Missouri. He holds a Ph.D. in New Testament from Amridge University in Montgomery, Alabama, and an MDiv from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Donald Berry, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, Donnie, before we dive into your book, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe where you grew up and something about your family? Sure. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a native of Missouri, and so I'm serving at a church here in Missouri after, after a stint away for seminary. Um, so from central Missouri, been married to my wife for 13 years. We have four young children at home, so our house is a, is a pretty wild place most of the time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I and I serve as a pastor, um, primarily working with college students at Christian Fellowship here in Columbia, Missouri. We're a university town. The University of Missouri is here. That's where I did my undergraduate uh, studies, and so so I work with college students as well as um, I oversee our Christian Fellowship Leadership Institute, which is a training ministry for young leaders, where I get to teach and. Um, and that's one of my outlets for uh, for using um, some of the some of the things I've gleaned along the way in my academic studies. I love to teach. I love to um, to get to to share the scriptures with with younger students and and help teach them. So sounds great. And how did you come to pursue specifically the letter to the Romans and particularly that topic of glory for your graduate work? Yeah, well, during my time at Southern Seminary, um, I was introduced to biblical theology, and and really my heart was captured by the the unified, big picture story of God and, and and learning about how all of Scripture is one unified story, and so so that was where where my interest in the field of biblical theology um, began. Kind of that learning learning to read the Bible in that Luke 24 kind of way as Jesus taught his disciples how all the scriptures, the Psalms, the prophets, the writings are all about him. And so um, so that was, an, that was a real revolutionary um, thing for me. Um, and at my time it, at Southern, one of the themes that really captured me, um, captured my interest was the, the idea of the image of God in Genesis 1. Um, and along with that, the theme of the glory of God as it plays out in scripture. And so at one point I, I was reading through a commentary by Kenneth Matthews, um, his Genesis commentary, and he had a little footnote where he mentioned the connection between image and glory and sonship for Paul. 
And that that kind of set me in a course of study and a course of exploration that ultimately led me to to the book of Romans um, at where this glory theme, the theme of the glory of God is is a real central um, piece of Paul's understanding of biblical theology. If we want to use that modern label for it, I think the glory theme really captures how Paul um, sees the unfolding purposes of God in Scripture and it's closely correlated to the image of God, to, to what God was doing, um, his original purposes for humanity. And so, um, and consequently, it, interestingly enough, it, it's a real neglected theme. It hasn't been given the due attention. This theme of glory in Romans has, has been relatively overlooked. And so I so I had the privilege of, of giving it a shot at, at giving it the exhaustive treatment that, that I think it deserves. And it, it proved to be a really rich study for me personally. Um, I hope it's beneficial for others as well. Well, that's amazing. All that from a footnote. I'm going to, yeah. when I yeah. teach my students, remind them to always read the footnotes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, now at Southern, um, was this under Kenneth Gentry or Jim Hamilton that you your eyes sort of opened up to biblical theology? Yeah, it was it was a combination of of classes. Southern Southern, I think, had turned maybe during the time that I was there. Um, to a real emphasis on biblical theology. And so it was in several classes. I did have classes under Dr. Gentry. Um, Dr. Hamilton actually didn't come until after I'd graduated. And so although I've gotten to read some of his books and, and his book on, which you may be familiar with, The Glory of God um, in, in, and Judgment and Salvation, he's mm-hmm. he's definitely um, hit on that theme a little bit as well. But but really it was just a holistic thing where, where the, the several classes – um, we're pressing that on me, and it and it just captured me in a way that um, that still I, I just still marvel at, at the the unity of the Bible and and the beauty of of this story as it unfolds and ultimately comes to fulfillment in Jesus. So so I'm very grateful for those days and for the the seeds that were planted in me there. How long did it take you to finish your dissertation? Uh, I I worked on research wise and then writing probably around. Um, Around three years. Okay. Um, now there was there was plenty of study prior to that in terms of writing other papers and focusing on. So I, I kind of, through the course of over probably the course of about six years, um, which was my total doctoral work, um, I was kind of narrowing the focus. And so writing on image, writing on glory, right? And and it wasn't until those last um, two and a half three years that that I finally narrowed down to focusing in on Romans and the theme of glory in Romans. Um, so yeah, long process as, as probably most students who go through a similar similar course of study are aware. It's a long, sometimes grueling process, uh, but it but it's proved very rewarding. I'm grateful for it. That's great. Well, coming to your book now on the theme of glory in Romans, uh, maybe it would be helpful for some of our listeners to explain first uh, broadly Paul's epistle to the Romans, uh, its occasion, general content, uh, maybe even a word, and it's on its significant place historically. Yeah, so so Romans, as as many scholars will note, it, it's kind. Of, I mean, it's the it's the pinnacle of Paul's writings. The it's a it's it's one of those books we return to again and again for its richness and for the way Paul lays out the gospel and and so many beautiful themes in Romans. Um, and so it really is a central work among his writings. Um, and and so t- so to get to dig down into it over the course of those three or so years that I was researching and writing, um, again I just counted a great privilege to have gotten to spend that time in the Book of Romans. Paul's writing, um, some of the situation there, 
writing into a church that seems to be divided along Jew-Gentile lines. Um, and so that's a major theme that Paul addresses, the, the, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles um, and how the gospel um, affects the way they're to live with one another. And so, so in essence, I, I think Romans is Paul um, writing to this, this mixed audience, um, this church in Rome of, of mixed um, Jewish Gentile ethnicity and all the difficulties that come with them learning to live together as one people in Christ. And Paul's um, writing to, to explicate the gospel for them as he sees it. I think a, a big piece of that is that Paul is um, Paul's looking to go to Spain. Paul's wanting, and, and he's looking for the, the church at Rome possibly to be part of the sending church. Uh, and so to have this core role in supporting him, well, to do that, Paul's got to gain their support, both of the Jewish and the Gentile component. And and so he, he's laying out his gospel as he sees it and all the implications of it, um, which as I, as I argue in the study, really, I mean, Paul's gospel is, it has its roots back in this whole grand unfolding narrative of God, from Old Testament up through Christ. And so he's laying that out for them um, in a really wonderful way. So that that's a little bit about the background to Romans. Thank you. And you sort of touched on uh, this is considered sort of the height of, of Paul's writing. So needless to say, there's been a lot of scholarly work on Romans, and yet your book is offering a fresh approach to this theme of glory. And that's that's pretty ex- exciting, and it probably will raise an eyebrow or two. Uh, it's interesting that that particular motif has been missed. Uh, maybe coming to that, you provide in your introduction a general entry into this idea of eschatological glory and, and Paul's use of it. Uh, could you give us a summary of what you mean by glory and, and uh, how that relates to Paul's theology? Sure. So, so it, as you read through Paul's letters, not just Romans, but in his letters as a whole, um, glory is is a really prominent theme for Paul as he talks about the eschatological future. Um, and it, it's clear that glory is is a Christological category for Paul. And Paul links Christ closely with glory. He says things, and he refers to Christ as the Lord of glory. Um, he talks about the gospel of the glory of Christ, or that that the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ was was taken up or ascended in glory. His body is referred to as resurrection body as a body of glory in Philippians three. And so so there's there's a close correlation for Paul um, of, of Christ and glory. But interestingly, uh, Paul also closely correlates believers and glory. Hmm. Um, and so and so that's what caught my eye is um, how Paul talks about believers sharing in Christ's glory. Um, that that we have hope of glory. God has prepared believers beforehand for glory. We will be co-glorified with Christ. All of creation is longing for the freedom of the glory of the children of God, and our bodies will be transformed into a body of glory like Jesus, and on and on and on. Christ will be glorified in us, but we also will be glorified in him, Paul says. And so throughout his writings, there's this there's this major theme of of a, a participation in glory that is the eschatological hope of believers. And so especially when you come to Romans then, um, Romans is where that theme I think I think is is most clearly crystallized and, and Paul highlights it, um, maybe gives us some of the greatest insights into how he conceptualizes this eschatological glory 
um, both in relationship to Christ and also then because of our relation to Christ by faith, how that glory um, is the future hope of believers. So, so in essence, I set out in the study to answer the question, um, okay, it's clear that Christ is closely connected with glory, but Paul also connects believers with glory. Why? And that, that's the ultimate question of the study. Um, and, and, and then to follow up with that, what is Paul's conception of glory um, and our eschatological share in the glory of God, our being glorified, our being co-glorified with Christ, all of these beautiful statements Paul makes. Well, what's, what's the essence of that? What's, how's Paul conceive of that? And so that's, those are the questions I was seeking to answer in the study. Good. I like the method you employ, the way you explain it in your introduction, and you have that chart with the concentric circles of context. Uh, could you maybe yeah. touch on that for our listeners for a moment? Sure. There, so one of the one of the things that I wanted to do in the study, I wanted to to let the text speak. I don't want to impose my my grid. That's one of the one of the dangers I think we can get into, especially in the field of biblical theology, is is we bring bring our a theme, a grid, and and lay that over on the scriptures, and 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 then try to force the scriptures into that. And so I really wanted to let Paul speak. Um, how does Paul? How does the glory theme for Paul play out in Romans? How does Paul conceive of glory? And so, so the method that I that I followed um, is one of beginning, as you as you mentioned, the the circle, the concentric circles of context. I wanted to begin with specific um, passages where Paul talks about glory in Romans, and look at the immediate context. Um, from there, you branch out to, okay, what about the larger context, like the literary context of Romans as a whole? And how does this particular passage fit within the literary context as a whole? And then branching out from there, okay, how, did, how does this fit within um, Paul's writings, Paul's other writings, and the, the way maybe the glory theme or, or the way Paul talks about the eschatological future of believers in other places in his writings? And then, and then from there, um, the larger context of Scripture as a whole, and particularly the the biblical, theological, or redemptive historical context of of the Old Testament and the Scriptures as a whole. So, so that's the general methodology I w- I wanted to follow. Um, again, just to allow the Scriptures to speak, um, draw reading reading Paul in context at, to avoid imposing. Um, imposing my own theological grid or views on the Scripture. Now, obviously, in the in the task of of exegesis and then theology, there's a there's a give and take there. Uh, there's always a moving from, I mean, moving from the the context from the passage itself uh, to to then synthesizing the information you're getting and and then letting the scriptures refine your your kind of synthesis of the information, but then letting letting the big picture also refine the way you read a particular passage. And so there there's some some art, if you will, to to the uh, to the discipline of hermeneutics. But in general, that was my hope and my goal is to say, all right, I really want to to get at how does Paul conceive of the future glory of believers and how does he put the big picture story of the Bible together, which I think is what the glory theme really gives us windows into in Romans, is Paul's conception of, of God's purposes in creation, his purposes in redemption, the big story of God. I really feel like as we read Romans, and give attention to the theme of, of glory, it really does give us a window into how Paul puts the big picture story of the Bible together. And that's one of the beauties of biblical theology. Uh, your dissertation work, your your book, not only gives you 
uh, insight into the letter to the Romans and to the Pauline corpus, but but really uh, that that uh, narrative going from the Old Testament into the New and yeah. uh, becomes a helpful paradigm for uh, interpreting the whole Bible. Yeah. On page five, I'm going to just quote uh, a little bit from something that you wrote. It sort of captures um, the angle of your book, and then I'm going to ask you to comment on this. Okay. It says, Glory lies at the heart of Paul's understanding of a unified purpose of God that runs through both creation and redemption and provides the framework for understanding Paul's gospel as he proclaims it in Romans. This divine purpose finds expression in Paul's conception of glory, doxa, which at its heart is about God manifesting his nature and character in all of creation through image bearers who share in and reflect his glory. For Paul, eschatological glory is the realization of God's purposes for Adam and for Israel, to see and to show forth the glory of God. This glory is now realized in the new Adam and true Israel, Jesus Christ, and will ultimately be attained by all who are in union with him. So the first part of your comment on glory, this is an attribute of God. This is who he is. Uh, Mm -hmm. But what's striking, and you touched on this a little bit already, is that glory was also part of God's purposes for Adam and Israel. And it's it's that comment that I'm wondering if you could sort of expand upon a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. So 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 glory or doxa as the the Greek word doxa, um, which we translate in our English translations as as glory. Paul uses that language. That's the language in the Septuagint and, and beyond that gets that it, that's used to translate um, the Hebrew kavod, um, which is which is the word for the weightiness of God or the glory of God as we think about it. And and through that association, um, in essence, the glory of God in the Old Testament is is the manifestation of God's character, God's nature, God God who God is, His essence on display, invisible display, and so. So we're familiar with as we think about glory and some of the the ways the Bible speaks of it. You know, the brightness of glory, the shining forth of glory, the um, the brilliance or the brightness of God's glory, and some of the some of that language. That's um, at essence, it's God displaying Himself, manifesting Himself, making Himself known. Um, that's the glory of God, um, as used um, in this theological sense, the way that Paul uses it um, in Romans, and so. So here, here's the way I put the kind of the big picture story of the Bible together, the way I think Paul lays it out in Romans. God created um, created humanity in his image in order to to know God and to see his glory. Um, so so that's that's purpose number one, that we're made for relationship with God, to see his glory. God created in order to reveal himself. Self-revelation is at the heart of creation, and we see that in Romans chapter one, as God, as Paul talks about um, God's wrath being um, being manifested because this self-revelation of God, God displaying Himself, making Himself known, humanity rejected it. Humanity did not see fit to give glory to God. They exchanged His glory for a lie and worshipped images rather than the one true God, and so that just gets at the heart of why we were created in the first place, to see and know and behold the glory of God. But there's also uh, there's also a, a second or a related purpose that flows out of that, as those who have this special relationship with God of seeing, knowing, beholding his glory, well, as his image bearers, we're also created to be like him. 
were created to reflect his glory. And so so God's intention for Adam and for humanity after him was that 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 humanity would reflect the glory of God, that we would be the visible expression of God in creation. His his vice um, vice rulers over his creation, stewarding, having dominion over creation with godlike stewardship, godlike rule, as we express the character of God, his self-giving love and kingship. Um, and so there's this this aspect of our of our knowing God and seeing his glory, but also of our of our being like God and reflecting his glory in the rest of the world until as as the prophets speak of until the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so that I think is at the at the core of of God's purpose, his intention in creation. He's creating to share himself, to reveal himself, to share himself with us and that we might participate in the beauty and the joy of being like God and reflecting him and also getting to share God with others and with the rest of creation. And so that's that's the essence of the glory theme, the way Paul lays it out. As I mentioned in Romans 1, you've got, you've got the rejection of this glory, um, rejection of, of the knowledge of God, and also of our of our share in in reflecting that glory, so that so that Paul lays out. So therefore, human human beings, I mean, we come to reflect a lie. We come to give ourselves to all kinds of evil and wickedness, rather than reflecting the truth of God. As Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> but that's what's being restored um, through the gospel, and that's and so that's that's kind of how how it unfolds in the letter as Paul talks about the loss of glory, but then the restoration of this purpose. And I do want to go through in a moment, uh, maybe three of the key passages that, that you touch on and, and kind of work through them. Uh, but could sure. you uh, mention uh, Israel's role uh, in this? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Israel, so, so with Abraham, as, as several scholars have noted, um, among them being, you mentioned um, Peter Gentry earlier, Gentry and Wellam's um, big volume that came out on um, Kingdom Through Covenant and, and um, G.K. Beale and several others have, have talked about um, Abraham as, as, as a second Adam, um, that God, it's, it's God's same purpose being carried on through Abraham and, and his seed through whom God's going to reveal himself, make himself known to a people. And through whom he's going to then reflect himself, show himself to the rest of the world as this people, the people of Israel, come to um, reflect God, to be like God, to show forth the glory of God to the rest of the world. And so so it's, it's this same purpose for Adam and for humanity that now is coming to focus in on, on Israel, the nation of Israel. God gives them his law, which which ultimately is is based in his character, his nature, so that in keeping God's law, the people of God are to be like him and reflect him. And so Paul Paul talks about that. The law is spiritual and good. He uses terminology that, that connects it back to God's character and nature. He talks in Romans 2 about how um, Israel was given the law in, in, in order that they might be a light to the Gentiles. Um, but But clearly... Um, we see that Israel, just like Adam, fails at this task. They fail um, both to appreciate the glory of God and to worship him, and they fail to reflect him to the nation so that, as Paul says in Romans 2, 
the name of God comes to be blasphemed among the nations because of Israel. And so, the, so this theme, I mean, it, it finds its its way for Paul um, right to the Messiah, who is, as he says in Romans chapter five, the new Adam, um, and and he is the true Israel. And so, in him, all of these promises. He's the one who images God, who reflects the glory of God. And and it's in him, those who are joined to him, that the promises for Adam, God's purposes for Israel, ultimately come to be um, realized in the true people of God, justified by faith in Christ. Mm. Good stuff. Uh, you've touched already a few times on Romans 1, uh, 123. Mm-hmm. And um, so kind of coming to that that text and, and setting up uh, the beginning of uh, Paul's exposition of the gospel, uh, specifically his reference uh, to humanity's exchanging the glory of God. Could you sum up your findings here? Yes. Yeah, so 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 Paul says that, that claiming to be wise, um, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for images Um so, so in this passage, Romans one eighteen to to twenty five, um, I think there are clear allusions back to to the fall as it happens in Genesis, and so so Paul, this is Paul um, Paul reflecting back on the condition of humanity as a result of the fall. Now, one of the things that that my studies brought out and that um, that wasn't new to me. Um, but that I was that I that I was able to glean from others is is there are both um, echoes of Genesis in these pa- in this passage in Romans one as well as echoes of um, of Israel's sin at Sinai mm-hmm. and so Israel's later sin and so so this is one of the things you begin to see in Romans this happens here it happens in Romans seven it's a theme throughout um, the the meshing together of of the history of humanity and Adam. And then of Israel's history, the two are meshed together because for Paul, um, the two histories are one. They follow the same course. Um, Israel, as as Tom Wright and, and others have said, Israel, too, is in Adam. And so, so as it goes with Adam, well, that's what we see play out in Israel as well. And that's what happens in all of humanity. Um, so as Adam turned from the revelation of God's glory, exchanged his glory, so too did Israel. Um, the real question with this text about exchanging the glory of God is, is are we dealing here with just a, a turning away from God to worship idols? Or is there something in this of, of humanities also exchanging their, their participation in God's glory? And, and so that's what I argue in, in this section of the book is that, um, that it's a both and. That, that just as we were made to see God's glory and to show his glory, as we... Um, exchanged God as the object of our worship, so also we exchanged our share in his glory, our reflecting of his glory, um, leading to Paul's indictment on all of humanity in the, in the, the later chapters of both Jew and Gentile. You're all under sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us reflect the character and nature of God as we were intended to. None of us put the glory of God on display because we've turned away from God. We no longer, that relationship with God um, 
by which we were meant to see his glory. And out of that seeing of it, we were meant to reflect it. Well, now, as we no longer see his glory as we were intended, so also we no longer reflect it and put his glory on display. Well, I have to confess that uh, your work on this particular text really sold me on your thesis, because from a literary perspective, when you identify the right crisis moment, that really gives you the rest of the story in terms of resolution. And it's very clear that Paul here is um, looking at the fall and the exile from his presence through this grid, this theme of glory. And uh, so that becomes a hint that the rest of his epistle to the Romans is going to deal with with that theme. And it also, of course, gives us a great um, angle on the the text you mentioned. He's he's addressing not only Israel at Sinai, but uh, Adam in in Genesis uh, 1 through 3. So the text in Genesis doesn't explicitly say glory. And I found it interesting that there are some rabbinical sources. I'm losing the particular ones, but... They talk about Adam uh, and the woman before the fall as bearing light. And mm-hmm. um, as soon as they transgressed, that's why they needed to be covered. That's why they realized they were naked, because they had lost something of this right. glory of their pre-fallen state, which goes perfectly with what Paul is saying. Yeah, this was a yeah. In, in the early Jewish writings there, I mean, this was a this was a theme. Of, of, of the loss of human participation in glory. That was a, that was a central piece of, of understanding kind of the narrative of Adam and what happened in the fall. And so, and I think you're right. I think there's a close parallel here with Paul reflecting, refle- reflecting that same understanding. Good. Now coming to a second text, Romans 5, 12 through 21, that begins on page 79 of your book. Uh, you've titled that section of Paul's letter, same purpose, different Adam. Can you tell us yeah. about this? Yeah, so so this is where you have where Paul sets side by side. You've got you've got this contrast between Adam, who um, who introduces sin and death into humanity, and Christ, who I mean the much more of Christ, where uh, where he he reverses um, he undoes the effects of the first Adam, um, reverses the effects of the first Adam, and then and but his redemption goes beyond it, and so. Um, particularly interesting in this passage is is this um, the emphasis Paul puts on um, on the reign of death. I mean, Paul Paul talks about this idea of, of death reigned from Adam to Moses, and several times in these verses, there's this reign of death, which I think is a is a is an echo of the Genesis text where it who was it that was meant to reign? Well, it was. It was human beings created in God's image who were meant to reign and have dominion. Um, but in fact, that that reign, that dominion has been reversed, overturned because we um, we rejected, we exchanged God as our object of worship. And so so, too, we've we've lost this dominion intended for us, this godlike um, dominion. But in Christ, um uh, as he says in verse 17 of, of Romans 5, that um, that we will once again reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's a there's a restored dominion, a reigning in life. So the overturning of death, um, restored dominion as we reign in life with Christ. And all of these become become themes that Paul's going to, to highlight more fully in Romans chapter 8. But here you begin to see um, Paul connecting 
um, connecting back to Genesis 1 to 3 and what happened in Adam and how Christ has come as, as a new Adam and has fulfilled God's purposes for humanity. And so in him, um, all that went wrong in Adam is now being restored, reversed, set right again. And that's gonna, going to carry on in, in the remainder of, of Romans 5 to 8 and especially coming to the pinnacle of this glory theme at the end of Romans chapter 8. You've uh, jumped uh, to exactly where I wanted to go. So the next text, Romans eight seventeen through 30, which uh, you even said it now and in your book, you refer to it as the pinnacle of the glory motif in Romans. And you even give two full chapters to this section in Paul's letter. Can you uh, rehearse that culmination for us? Yeah. So, so, so Paul... Out, Romans 8 is coming on the heels of Romans 7 and the, the gloryless, what I, what I talk about in the book as the gloryless existence under the law. And the law is, is spiritual. It's good. Um, the law for Israel, if they were to keep it, would lead to reflecting the glory of God, being a light to the nations, so on and so forth. Uh, but it but it didn't lead to that because of the flesh, as Paul says. But now... Um, the Spirit, through the Spirit, we're being enabled once again to bear fruit for God. Through the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, we begin to see a reversal of the situation both of Adam and the situation for Israel. And that leads us into Romans chapter 8. Life in the Spirit, the Spirit as the agent of new creation life, the Spirit who's the one who is remaking us um, into the image of God, writing the character of God and printing it on our hearts so that we can once again begin to reflect God. Because through justification, we've been put into right relationship with God again, right? So those two always hang together that through justification, we now have hope of the glory of God once again, Romans 5, 2. Um, it's because we're in right relationship with God through Christ that now we're we're beginning to be enabled to fulfill God's purpose that his glory would be displayed in us. And so that's what Romans 8, 17 to 30 particularly is about. Um, in that section, Paul, Paul talks about because of our sonship, we are co-heirs with Christ um, and we will be co-glorified with him. And he goes on to talk about then that the, um, the sufferings that believers experience, present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Once again, there's this glory, this anticipation of glory revealed in us and through us. That's our destiny. That's where we're headed. And so that's what, what Paul um, lays out in Romans 8, 17 to 30. Um, just to highlight a few, a few aspects of, of glory as Paul, as Paul lays it out here. Once again, we see here Romans 8, 17 through 30 is, is really, um, a reversal of Genesis chapter three and what happened there. So Paul talks about how um, creation was subjected to futility um, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption. And then a really important phrase in Romans eight twenty one: creation will be um, set free um, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that phrase, the freedom of the glory of the children of God, um, what we're seeing happen here is, is Paul's reflecting on the fact that when we were subjected to death and corruption because of our sin, and we, uh, we abdicated our dominion over creation, um, well, all of creation suffered. 
because creation was meant to be ruled by godly, godlike image bearers. And as godlike image bearers reflect the self-giving, loving stewardship and rule of God, the whole earth would thrive and flourish. But as we um, rejected the glory of God and and gave up this dominion over creation, well, now creation was subjected to corruption and futility. It it too is subject to to all that sin and death brought into the world. But it was subjected in hope. The hope which echoes back to Romans 5, 2, the hope of the glory of God, which is the destiny of believers. And so creation is longing for the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Because when we are restored to our glory, when we are co-glorified with Christ um, and are rightly reflecting God, rightly ruling over God's new world once again, um, all of creation will enjoy that freedom as well. And so, so I love the, I love again, the, the big biblical theological themes of image of God, of, of our dominion over creation, of our, of our rule as God's representatives and how that's being restored. And that's really at the heart of what our, what our share in, in the glory of Christ is about. And so as the passage unfolds, um, Paul talks about, um, our being conformed to the image of the son, um, which he then links to, so that's Romans eight twenty nine, and in the next mm-hmm. verse, he's eight twenty nine. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Romans eight thirty. We're predestined to be glorified. Um, those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The end goal, um, in both cases, as Paul sets these in parallel, conformed to the image of the Son, glorified. There's that close link that that holds up for Paul, not just in Romans, but elsewhere between image and glory. Um, Again, the image of God being, we will be like him. We will share in his character, his nature. Um, And that's what the glory of God ultimately is about, is about us reflecting, displaying God's glory. So, so Romans eight is, there are so many riches there. And, and it's a, it's a passage that has received a lot of attention um, and yet this glory theme, again, has, the way it hangs together and, and, and how it really is a link to, uh, to the unified story of God and of a reversal of all that's come before in Adam and in Israel uh, is just remarkable. And it's great confirmation for your thesis that um, the ebb and flow of this motif of glory really follows the structure of, of his, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, not only, again, at the beginning there, in chapter 1, but most scholars would agree that chapter 8 is the pinnacle, and, and of course 9 through 11 is a continuous letter, but it's a subtopic of the, the role in the place of Israel before in chapter 12 he gets to application. So the fact that the glory theme culminates with the, the height of Paul's message um, works well for your thesis. Yeah. So your work aims, again, to bring the glory motif to the forefront of Pauline studies really as central to Paul's theology. And so the question becomes, as you know, most scholars today, um, it's typical to say that the center of Paul's theology is union with Christ. Can you maybe mm-hmm. talk about the correlation between those two, the union with, with Christ and then the theme of glory? Yeah, so, so I think union with Christ is at the heart of the glory theme. Um, because for Paul, um, it, it's in Christ, in the Messiah, 
that that God's purposes for Adam and for Israel have been realized. He is the image of of God. Romans eight twenty nine. We're being conformed to the image of the Son. He is the image of God. He is the the second Adam, um, who has overturned the effects of the first Adam. He is the the true Israel, and it's it's through justification by faith in Christ and through our union with Him. Um, you know, Romans 6, that we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and we were raised with him um, in order that just as he was raised, and it, it's really interesting, Romans 6, 4, he was raised by the glory of the Father. Mm-hmm. It's the glory of the Father that that by which Christ is raised so that we might walk in newness of life. And so there's a sense that as Christ was raised through the glory of the Father, well, we've been joined with him so that we are now to walk in in newness of life, and that newness of life ultimately will be expressed in our full share in Christ's glory. It, it, Romans eight seventeen, we're co-glorified with Christ. We're co-heirs with Him. All the whole glory theme hangs on our union with Christ because it's His glory, right? We're sharing in it's, and it's because He has realized God's purposes for humanity that now those who are joined to Him, those who have become sons of God and who like Him cry out, Abba, Father, now we have the hope of glory because we're in Christ. And so, so I, would, I would absolutely agree that union with Christ is the centerpiece. Um, and out of our union with Christ, therefore, glory becomes, just as glory is a, is a major Christological category for Paul, well, it's through union with Christ that glory now becomes a major anthropological category as well um, for him because we're in Christ. What is true of Christ is true of us. We are sons of God as he is a son of God. We will reign with him. His inheritance is our inheritance. We're co-heirs with him. His resurrection will ultimately be our resurrection as we share in his resurrection body and share in his incorruptibility. All of these things come to us because of union with Christ. So it sounds like, would you say the glory theme is sort of the overarching umbrella and maybe union with Christ is the handle there at yeah. the center? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I mean, Paul describes in various ways, He, especially in Romans eight seventeen to 30, he describes this glory as, you know, we'll be heirs of the cosmos, um, this glory is the revelation of our sonship. We'll be adopted as sons. We'll obtain the, the redemption of our bodies. There's conformity to the image of son. All of these are different ways Paul speaks of the glory that's to be ours. Glory is the label over all of these, um, these eschatological, wonderful things that will be ours in Christ. And as you said, all of those come because of our union with Christ. He is the son. He is the image bearer. He's the one who reigns. As Paul says, um, he's the, the firstborn of many brothers. Um, and we're, we're to be, I mean, he's the one who has been, um, the whole inheritance is his. I, I, there, I mean, it's the language to even even grasping to say how central Christ is to our glorification. It's all because of our joining to him. We get to be brought into the very life of the Trinity, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get to reflect the glory of God, the, the character, the nature of God. We get to reign with Christ and all of these. And it's all because... Christ is our elder brother because he has fulfilled God's purposes for Adam and for Israel, and we're in him. So, now This is brought out step by step in the letter to the Romans 
for the rest of his epistles uh, in the Pauline corpus, is this something that's just assumed by Paul, or do you find in, in any of his other letters where he uh, sort of brings this out for the churches he's writing to? Yeah, well, I, it shows up in it shows up in several places in his letters. I um, in in my dissertation, it didn't make it into the book. It was one of the, there was a chapter on um, glory among other eschatological terms Paul uses for the future existence of believers. And, and for Paul, glory is both the most prominent, um, only paralleled by, by life, the Zoe word group. Um, the Doxa word group is, is the most prominent term Paul uses in relation to the future existence of believers, but it's also the most widely used across his letters. Um, and so, so Paul talks about the glory both of Christ and of believers um, frequently, although in Romans it, it's definitely in condensed form and in, in a way that's, that's unrivaled. But so you get, for example, in, in um, 2 Corinthians 3, um, where it's as we behold this in, through new covenant, by the, the new covenant work of the Spirit, as we behold the glory of the Lord, that's the scene, his glory piece, well, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so, once again, it's this idea, as we see the glory of God, we're being transformed into the image. Mm -hmm. So, image, reflecting back on Genesis 1, from glory to glory. And so, um, there's a close correlation um, between image and glory throughout Paul's writings. Um, but Paul, But Paul talks also about this eschatological share in the glory of Christ and of glory being restored to us, as well as of of our being conformed to the image and the likeness of God once again. Um, so it is across um, many of Paul's writings. Um, Romans, I, I find it to be, I mean, Romans, Paul uses the glory language more in Romans than he does in any of his other letters. And it's certainly laid out in a way that um, because Paul is proclaiming his gospel to the church at Rome, laying it out for them, and it encompasses this whole beautiful unfolding story of God. And that's why I think it's such a central feature there. And you find it also in any of the other authors of the New Testament? Uh, John, John obviously talks a lot about the glory of God, right. um, as well as our, as well as in in his letter. Uh, I mean, so the Gospel of John, the glory is a, is a very prominent feature that it's in Christ, Christ, in Him we behold the glory of God. In um, you know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And and so the, the glorification piece unfolds in John's Gospel, and we ultimately see, I think, the, the, um, the centerpiece of that glory, of the revelation of, of God's glory in Christ, is, is in the cross. Um, so, so you see it in John, especially Second Peter. I've just been... Um, doing a study on second peter and you and you've got this phrase at the opening of of the letter that says um his divine powers granted us all things for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and virtue uh, that we might be partakers of the divine nature hmm. and so so just a, a, a hint in peter's letter of our purpose of being uh partakers of the divine nature god has called us to his own glory and excellence or glory and virtue there so it so i don't think it's unique to paul in any way as though um 
I mean, I think this is this is a central feature. Paul's just arriving at the conclusions the Old Testament directed him towards, and directed some of the other writers in the New Testament towards, and that and that some of the early Jewish writings they were picking up on some of these themes. Um, but it but it's the fulfillment in Christ that is the unique piece for for the New Testament writers that all of this has been summed up, fulfilled in Christ and in those who relate to Him, those who are in union with Him. That is helpful. Thank you. Now, what are some other implications of your book for future research and biblical studies? I mean, obviously, yeah. Pauline studies uh, need going to have to come to terms with this. I would love to see some more interaction. Um, on so so, first of all, because it because in some ways it's um, I know there there's not a lot in the book that I would say is is new absolutely in a sense that it hasn't been in in bits and pieces found here and there, but it, it's in giving this attention to the theme of glory in in Romans. I feel like it does shine light on it in a way that that hasn't been set forth before. And so I'd love to see uh, more um, interaction uh, with this theme. Just to clarify, I don't I don't by any means think that I've that I've um, you know fully mined all the the beauty and the riches that are here, um, even in relation to this glory theme. And so this is a, a starting point. I'd love to see others um, take it go further with it, see what other things, um, they might uncover. Um, I think, I think extending it beyond into, into giving some exploration to the glory theme in some of Paul's other letters. I think there may be implications for, um, some of the secondary letters of Paul, um, and, and Pauline authorship even, um, because there, there is such a close correlation in some of the pastoral epistles, for example, um, or in the Thessalonian letters where Paul talks about the glory of believers and you get, you get um, such a close um, treatment of the glory theme, the way Paul outlines it here. And you get, you get some of those themes in other letters. I think there may be implications for Pauline authorship and just to argue from one more vantage point there um, as we see, as we see this theology played out that, that in a sense it's not unique to Paul, but there's another sense in which in, in emphasis and in the way he treats it, it is unique to him. And so when you begin to see that in multiple places across his writings, there, there may be implications there for, for Pauline authorship that, that haven't, that can be added into other arguments for his authorship of those letters. So those would just be a few things that come to mind as well as just bringing this to, I mean, biblical theology has, um, uh, has really blossomed over the last decade or two, um, and is getting a lot of attention. And so I hope that um, that this this theme of the glory of God um, and the way that Paul lays it out in Romans can become a, one of those pieces that helps us refine how we see um, the story of God hanging together and how it unfolds in the scriptures. Good. Now it's been probably a decade since I've read uh, James Dunn, his his big book on Paul's theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if uh, works like that, not just Dunn, but other Pauline scholars, uh, did you find that any of them at least were helpful on this topic or, or sort of saw it, or has this just been a wide open gap? It, there, so, so as you look at commentaries, as you look at, at some of the theologies, like you mentioned, Dunn and others, um, they, they will mention it. Um, scholars will mention the the relationship even between image and glory in in Paul's writings. Um, there are several works dealing with um, with Adam in Paul's writings, and Dunn is one of those. In Dunn's theology, he talks a lot about Adam and the role of Adam in Paul's writings, and so some of that I'm building on. Okay. Uh, but 
and Dunn and Dunn notes. I think I don't remember if it's in his, in his commentary, if it's in his theology, but Dunn notes there's a major. Um, he says the glory motif is a major motif in Paul's letter to the Romans, and yet it's not. He doesn't treat it for for as he comes to those passages. He clearly comments on them, but it doesn't get the 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 consistent um, focus treatment. That, that most of the other major motifs, I mean, label something a major motif in Romans, and most of the time somebody's chased those down, and there have been monographs written on them and books written on them. But for some reason, the glory motif, so others acknowledge it. And that was one of the things that directed me actually into the study, is I kept coming across statements. Um, one by by C.K. Barrett a while ago, and, and then by... Um, Carrie Newman in, in Paul's Glory Christology, where they they mentioned, hey, this is this is a significant motif, but it hasn't been treated. And Carrie Newman even said that um, he was encouraged to to write on it, but he ended up going a different direction and doing Paul's Glory Christology instead. And so I'm like, well, so nobody's <laughs> yet taken this up. Somebody has to do this. And so um, I guess I got to be the one to maybe begin breaking ground. Now, there are some other articles that are being written and have been written, and some of those I build on in the work. And so I think it actually is beginning to get a little bit of attention and recognition that this is a, this is a central piece of Paul's theology. And, um, and so I'm, I'm very excited about that, about the work being done. Um, Tom Wright, I, I had an email exchange with him. Um, where he said he's actually supervising currently a doctoral student who's writing a little bit on the glory theme in Romans as well. So, um, so I'm curious when that when that I have no idea time frame wise there. But so there are some other things being done, which is really exciting. I think it is. It's one of those things where suddenly you're like, wow, this is a major oversight. We need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So that is exciting. Well, before we let you go, are there any other projects you're working on now that you can tell us about? Well, so <laughs> I have four kids at home, young kids. <laughs> Enough <And> so, said. <laughs> so yeah. Well, but but with that, yeah. So so no, there's not there's not a lot going on. But but because I have four kids, it puts me in a little bit different mindset. I've, I've seen, I've I've had the opportunity to to see some pretty rich things in Paul's letter here, and so so one of the things I decided to do is write a children's book. Um, oh, wow. Essentially, boiling my dissertation down and doing kind of a big picture story of the Bible book for kids that I could read to my kids where I could, where I could bring this theme of, of the glory of God and our share in God's nature and God's sharing himself with us so that we could then display his glory in creation. So, so I actually just finished up, um, I'm writing, writing this children's book. It's called God's big celebration. Um, which is essentially, like I said, my, my dissertation boiled down for, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. <laughs> so so I just finished up a draft of that. I'll, I'll, I'll start pursuing publication of that soon, see if anybody is interested. But uh, but that's been really fun for me to get to just um, take some of these things that I've, that I've seen and I've written about at a scholarly level and say, okay, how can I make this more accessible to a wider audience, starting with children? So, so whether I've succeeded or not, I don't know, but it's been a fun project for me to work on. That's great. I've also got... Uh... Four kids, so we'll look forward to uh, hearing more about uh, you getting a publisher and, and when that when that's coming out. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, Donnie, for joining us today on New Books and Biblical Studies, and thank you uh, for your work on this book, Glory in Romans. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. We've been talking to Donald Berry about his book, Glory in Romans, published by Pickwick Press in 2016. We thank you for listening in. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.